you know cattle were never in factories factory farming of milk or dairy was never a part of the traditional way of uh, treating cattle i googled organic farming because that was the only thing i was clear about that i want to do farming without chemicals then i realized i need cows because i needed cow dung so i said oh, how lovely let's have a cow so a cow for <laughs> So a cow followed the horse, and uh, it was not one. Today we have uh, about 150 cattle, but we are not a dairy. Every cow produces 10 kilos of dung all its life, every single day. And then we started making a variety of products. Like you said, I googled and discovered this world of dung products, and also started agriculture using cow dung. Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani and I'm your host Vidya Iyer. In our podcast we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic and environmental practices. Today we have with us Aparna Rajgopal, founder of Bijom, regenerative sustainable agriculture. She joins us from Western Uttar Pradesh, India. Welcome Aparna. Hi Vidya. So good to connect with you. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. The breeds of cows in India are easily distinguished from their western counterparts such as the Jersey and Holstein by their hump on the back. Broadly speaking, how many breeds of cows are indigenous to the Indian subcontinent? would have had over more uh, than 100 breeds of cows earlier i wouldn't know the exact number for sure as of today even though many many breeds have gone extinct we have about 45 50 breeds left so we've lost a lot of our cattle diversity across india and uh, india is a small country that packs a large punch because we actually have so many geographical regions in india whether it's the you know if you see it's so beautiful we have the himalayas on the north and then huge coastal region down south we also have the deccan plateau we have the thar desert we have the ghats down south we have rainforests so the cows breeds that are seen are uh, the cattle breeds are all adapted to those uh, particular geographical conditions we have for instance dwarf cows a cattle is that the vichur cow the vichur malnad there are many many breeds actually but uh, down south the malnad gidan vichur kasar god they are all the small breeds on the western ghats you know mountainous regions because they have to be uh, fleet footed swift and uh, they have to be nimble more than anything else so they are really small light cattle where their hooves are pointed so that they can easily climb similarly we have the thar parker which is a desert cow the cow is belongs to the thar desert which is why it's called the thar parker it's a cow that is uh, known to be like the camel amongst cows where it can with very little water and in adverse conditions can continue to give milk and they're very hardy and sturdy there are drought cattle there are dwarf cattle there are milch cattle some cattle just give a lot of milk some are not great with milk but for drought purposes so that's how the cattle diversity is across india it's unfortunate but we've lost a large part of the diversity already the cattle traditionally were part of the family i remember my father who grew up in a village in kerala he would have names for his cows and he would refer to them as a family member that is also the unique way in which cows are treated in india 
Yeah, you know, cattle were never in factories. Factory farming of milk or dairy was never a part of the traditional way of uh, treating cattle. In fact, as everybody knows, a cattle are worshipped and revered in our country, and that is with a purpose. It was more than mythology; it was actually just because of the great use. It's uh, quite interesting how Vedic culture they just uh, worshipped anything that was very useful, like the banana, the coconut, the cow, because all this gave a uh, people a lot. As far as the banana is concerned. It was all parts of the banana tree. Similarly, coconuts, and then uh, the bulls were used for plowing. The cows gave milk. They used the dung that was generated at home naturally for various purposes, from house building, using it as fuel in cooking, and of course agriculture. Uh, that is why the cattle—it's not just the cow. Cattle became uh, the fulcrum of you know Indian village existence. You know, every family had bulls and cows because they would use the bulls to plow their field and tradition. Traditionally, actually, the bulls were more even bigger place than a cow because they would pull carts. That was the only mode of transportation at that time, and they would plow and they would run oil mills. They would run all the uh, you know uh, the flour mills, the oil mills. The cattle were used so much in that in daily life that they couldn't have done without whether it was a you know the bullock or the cow. And uh, everything was also very sustainably organized in a village setting. It was more circular, though. There was no. There was a symbiotic relationship. The cow gave them a lot. Uh, cattle gave them a lot, and in return, if any grain they grew, they would keep the hay for their cattle. Right. The cattle would give dung and work and give milk, and uh, so there was a give and take, which is why the cattle were family. Whether it was a bull or the cow, they were part of family. And because the cattle worked for you, and as were part of your family, they had names. They virtually lived in your homestead, even when they passed on. They were given a lot of respect. They were not, uh, you know, treating them cruelly became a sin. So I think also morality evolved around cattle uh, because of this. So it's a very beautiful evolution of how civilizations would have grown. From uh, domesticating cattle, how cattle became integral to our communities. Therefore, uh, misusing them or uh, treating them with greed or disrespect was actually people didn't do that. Whenever my family and I we go back to India, we enjoy the fact that the cows roam freely. Most tourists are fascinated, and obviously, the cows they will inbreed. between different breeds because they are not kept confined there are no restrictions to where they move most of these breeds are often naturally crossbred as against the jersey the holstein the jersey in particular i think there was a ban on any other cows coming over when they first decided to breed it as a pure breed so if you compare the indian breeds the indian breeds have far more diversity as against the cattle till in the west no no this see I'll tell you what actually happened was the indian breeds did not cross breed for a long time because every cow had its own region virtually you know every cattle every species uh, breed of cattle so you would find tarparkars in rajasthan you they won't breed with uh, cross breed with the vechur because vechur was way down south uh, let me go little further back immediately after independence maybe about the time of the 50s the india went through a lot of famine and uh, the government decided to get aggressive with agriculture because they realize we are not producing maybe enough food for the burgeoning you know population and our traditional practices produce lovely clean diverse food but uh, they wanted to produce more more so that not only could we feed our own population so that we could also export 
build agricultural economy. So they started something called the Green Revolution. The Green Revolution meant they we imported seeds, we imported pesticides and fertilizers, and these were for the first time introduced to hybrid seeds and uh, chemical fertilizers were introduced into Indian agriculture uh, with subsidies and etc. As early as the 50s? Uh, 60s, 60s. As a parallel, they also start, introduced something called the Milk Revolution, that is the White Revolution. And that's how Amul was set up, the first cooperative, right? The agenda of that was to build village economy using dairy. Then they realized that the Indian cattle, they are indigenous cattle and the Jersey cow gives uh, 20-25 liters of milk. Uh, while the indigenous Indian cow, uh, the average output of milk is only 4 to uh, 6 liters, right? Now, so And the dwarf cattle won't even give you that much. It's 1.5-2 liters. So they realized that the white revolution cannot take off with Indian cattle the way they wanted it to because the sheer output of the milk uh, of the cattle was so, uh, according to them, low. So that's how they imported and brought in, in uh, Jersey and Holstein Friesen cows from abroad uh, into India. So basically, the Indian cow was meant for one family. Meant for the local community. It is also how we ate then. Right. You know, being a tropical country, we never loaded on dairy because usually in India, we eat light sattvic meals. And uh, the reason why we eat light sattvic meals is because it's really hot. And uh, traditionally, the milk was, uh, it was according to availability. So even today, if you go to a village home, they're very likely to tell you, we don't have milk at home, we'll give you black coffee or black tea. It's very common, you know. So people actually adjusted with, uh, depending on the milk they actually had. So if your cow did, had given birth and you had milk in your house, it was great. If you didn't have, people managed with black coffee or uh, black tea or similarly, especially down south, I can speak because I've heard this from my mother, you know, yogurt or thick curd was a luxury. And also from the Ayurvedic point of view, curd was considered to be bad for people with uh, certain body types. Right, right. Yogurt or dairy was not encouraged. So people ate according to body type, people ate according to season, and generally the food patterns were very, very uh, simple food. I think, you know, we didn't need yogurt shakes, ice creams, cheese. The way we eat today has changed so much. So the demands for milk is so much greater today. And um, even mithai, you know, mithai would be made at home. Sweets. Yeah. And a lot of the mithai was made with jaggery down south, not dairy. Now the, everything has changed. Every, the way we eat has changed. There's a fast food industry that's demanding dairy. The large-scale commercial sweet shops that are demanding dairy. Uh, so the way we celebrate a festival has become so commercial. So I think as sociologically, this has had an impact on cattle and uh, milk and everything. So that's how the Holstein Friesen and Jersey came into India. They were imported. They continue to be brought in, actually. And uh, villagers were encouraged to buy this cow because they said, look at this desi cow. It can only give you four or five liters of milk. Look at this cow. It can give you so much milk. A lot of uh, dairies mushroomed uh, during that period. A lot of native cattle were abandoned. And uh, slaughterhouses were increased because all the abandoned native cattle uh, kind of that's when we did lose a bit of our, a lot of our uh, cattle diversity. And the milk revolution took off really well. And it was actually one of the most, it's today become a very, uh, you know, what can I say, a model uh, kind of uh, program, which is taught across business schools in the country. So it came with its problems. It came with the fact that people would uh, bring in jerseys and leave them to graze. All our cattle started getting crossed with other gene pools. You see? Wow. 
and uh, that's how a lot of cattle got crossed also and we had there is a terminology for such cattle in western up it's called dogli dogli means crossbred you know and in fact people started deliberately crossbreeding also because they said acha now desi only gives you 4 liters or 5 liters you cross it with the jersey it will at least give you 15 And when you say desi, you mean the indigenous breed. Indigenous breed, yeah, the indigenous breeds of cattle. So people didn't mind them crossing at that point, not realizing the large-scale impact that's going to have in the long term. How our indigenous cattle diversity can get corrupted. And from being like household family members, now they are with the industrialized farming. They almost become like commodities, you know. Um, like I've gone to a local dairy farm here, which is very well run in in Indiana. The cows literally go on a conveyor belt to be milked. So let's talk about your journey. You are a lawyer. What kind of a lawyer are you? I graduated from law school. I was always interested in environment and animal rights. So I think I have always worked in those areas uh, from the start. I left law as a profession 3 4 years after I finished law school because I clearly realized that uh, I prefer an outdoor life and I couldn't see myself behind a pile of files really. The other thing that I did realize that to make an impact Uh, you know there was so much groundwork that was actually required uh, before we brought in the you know there we it's not like india doesn't have laws in fact some of the best laws in the world and i think where we actually need more work is implementation awareness and getting people to understand uh, the basic things that like compassion uh, you know environment protection i really did want to work much more in that space and uh, i felt i could use my legal education you know to do that i did a lot of things in the middle i did drift a little because i couldn't find the space i was looking for to work what were the other things that you did before you landed on this yeah so i worked with some organizations i did a lot of rescue work on my own which i continue to do we do it as a family i mean uh, we've always rescued cows or dogs or any animal that we find and now people also we are part of this local network of animal rescuers and activists so we all it's great because we all uh, call each other if there's an animal help rescue send it to a shelter you know or help rehabilitate or rehome a dog or a cat or rescue an injured cow so we've been doing that for years i do classical music that's why i said i drifted off to do some of those things for a while but it would always uh, bother me i used to think that every day i rescue animals i rescue cattle and dogs and cats but Uh, just rescuing them and sending them to shelters is not the solution to the uh, real problem yeah that's damage control but uh, what is the solution you know and i it used to rankle me and of course i didn't have one then 6 years ago there was a horse that came up for rescue and um, my friend in the shelter she runs the shelter she said why don't you take a horse we have so many horses you know and i don't know why there were retired polo horses retired police horses or horses that were found abandoned but i live in an urban home so it was quite a random request from her and i said how better i'm going to keep a horse i live in a city but the idea kind of got in our heads our kids used to go to learn to ride my husband and i thought hey why don't we adopt this horse and uh, maybe look after it ourselves but where where would we keep the horse and then somebody mentioned to us that uh, where i where i live it's uh, the capital of india it's new delhi and uh, i live in a suburb called noida which is in uh, western uttar pradesh you know it's called the national capital region this whole region uh, you know because delhi is fringed by various states it's fringed on one side by uh, haryana and the other side by up 
I live in Uttar Pradesh. There's the Yamuna River that flows between Delhi and UP. And somebody told me, go to the riverside. And there are lots of land and maybe you could pick up, uh, you know, lease out a small patch for your horse and board the horse there and stuff. So we just trotted off one weekend, this random crazy idea of saying, let's board a horse by ourselves. Uh, we had no experience or clue. And uh, when we landed up there, uh, we realized that all the villagers there have taken small jobs in cities. And so their lands lie vacant and given away in lease to migrant farmers and stuff. So when we asked for a small piece of land, he showed us a whole land leading up to the Yamuna. It's quite a large patch. And he said, why don't you just take the whole thing? Why are you taking just a piece? We looked at him and said, what are we going to do with it? I mean, we just want to board one horse. He said, you do farming or do whatever you want. You can grow. So uh, that sounded equally bizarre because we weren't growing anything until then. But, uh, well, uh, we thought what an idea, you know, why not? And uh, since we were taking it on lease, we said, let's take it for a year and see what happens. Technically, it was a very, very uh, kind of a bizarre idea on our part of taking the land. But now we are in, the, in our seventh year and it's kind of mushroomed into quite a lovely uh, farm with lots of, uh, it's an animal sanctuary. It's got also a cattle preservation center. So we, the animal sanctuary has all kinds of animals. We have a donkey, we have pig, uh, we have geese, uh, we have goats, we have ducks, rabbits. Then we also have the cattle preservation center because when we started, when I started to grow, I really had to start from the drawing board. So I googled organic farming because I, that was the only thing I was clear about that I want to do farming without chemicals. Then I realized I need cows because I needed cow dung. So I said, well, how lovely, let's have a cow. So a cow, <laughs> so a cow followed the horse and uh, it was not one. Today we have uh, about 150 cattle. We started in 2014, August, a really crazy journey for us. Uh, so from knowing nothing, uh, now we teach cattle rearing and maintaining a cow shed and we, uh, we have farmers. It's also an agricultural enterprise. We grow a lot of food. We ended up leasing more land and now we have our own land. We concentrate on cattle breeding, uh, that is animal husbandry. And breeding, why? Because these cattle are going extinct. Also, what is interesting is we have 150 cattle, but we are not a dairy. Right. Very early on, uh, because of the work that I did with Animal Rescue, I realized that one of the biggest uh, problems, uh, both for the animals and for human health, is factory farming. So you said you don't have the cattle for dairy. Yeah. Why was that important for you? It was very important for me because dairy is a very, very exploitative space, especially when you do it as a business, as a in large scale. Like I mentioned earlier, it was sustainable. It was the fa farmer, the family. The consumption was also so, uh, you know, local and localized. So and the demands were so little on the on the cow. So it was not cruel, you know. But now the cow is just standing in a stall, giving milk, you know, and they're pumping her with antibiotics not allowing her to meet her child and the male cattle are not are all abandoned it's very very cruel the cows don't get any milk because there's roi attached to that whole enterprise and uh, so the cow is constantly kept pregnant like you mentioned your the, you know the very very saw the conveyor belt everything is mechanized in a dairy so the cow exists only to give you milk she doesn't have any other life there is no other life she maybe never treads on grass uh, you know doesn't even know what a field is it's it's like a prison it's terrible. Once I realized that all these cattle breeds are vanishing and uh, we could do uh, so much to protect that biodiversity just as we do seeds, just as we do uh, plant varieties. So across the world, actually, this is a problem which I don't know how many countries are recognizing. 
we always talk about conservation of wildlife and uh, habitat and we don't talk about conservation of uh, domestic cattle of domestic animals you know indigenous dog breeds uh, indigenous um, every country has their own diversity that's the beauty of this world so then i was very clear i said listen this cannot be but then what that was the uh, you know so if you have so much cattle then what i mean you can't just keep cattle for nothing how can you show this as a model so the idea started germinating in my head about what am i going to do to showcase this alternative model and then i said hey there's so much dung going on here every cow produces 10 kilos of dung all its life every single day also the dung is in seasonal it's not only when the cow has a calf i mean both the male and the female produce dung so i just thought hey this is a great project So why don't we start something with dung? Right, right. Only six years, seven years ago, I didn't know how. So I started to Google. I Google pretty much everything, including that. And then, to my great surprise, I discovered there are many innovations in India already, but in corners and pockets where it's not being recognized, or maybe somebody thought it's just a bad idea or didn't understand how to apply it. Uh, these were all inventions by f- local farmers not engineers i think uh, uh, you know curious uh, technologically inclined farmers you know <laughs> so there's one guy who made this thing a dung pot machine which is a manual machine with which you can make dung pots and then i discovered another machine with 1 hp motor which makes dung logs so what's fascinating about your company is that you are tackling two problems one to rescue the animals and use them on your sustainable regenerative farm and the byproduct the dung that they produce you're using it to create very innovative sustainable products which you just mentioned that you found on the web by googling the whole farm i think was uh, set up googling because uh, <laughs> i didn't know anything you know honestly uh, frankly we were city folk uh, who it's not like we had a tradition with farming my father was a doctor and my husband's father was an executive so there was no farming uh, background uh, so we had to start really from scratch so i i just i went on to the farm i sat on a rickety charpoy which is a uh, like a four post coir rope a coir rope bed ha huh, which was lent to me by a lady who uh, you know who thought i was just uh, i was nuts because it was august it was really hot and here i was with an ipad and a phone and my little internet thing and a dongle and i was uh, you know saying what is farming how do you raise a cow <laughs> because i didn't have the faintest idea <clears throat> but then that's how googling i realized that, that you can do so much with dung right that is why dung was interestingly in india you know i must bring it in here everyone worships the cow right very early on the ancient sages realized that there is more value in dung than milk mm. so i took a clue from that and i said come let's do this and then we started making a variety of products like you said i googled and discovered this world of dung products and also started agriculture using cow dung uh, as the main raw material for the fields it was beautiful how the project evolved i didn't know how to select a field or anything i just took any field somebody gave me to grow food right i had no idea what soil should look like or what soil should be like but in fact uh, what i had inherited was a crazy patch of uh, agricultural land it was not soil it was actually just like ash wow there was absolutely no organic matter in that soil for some reason 
and uh, after years of chemical agriculture it was really dead soil then as i started googling i discovered there are many types of agriculture of course a types of organic agriculture right and this permaculture this biodynamic farming and there was also this people in india you know we have something called vriksh ayurveda which is vedic preparations using vedic preparations you know herbal concoctions farming with using all that so there were some people who had put up a lot of these recipes on the net and uh, i used that to make a cow dung uh, slurry which is actually a microbiological uh, exercise where you build microbial activity in the soil Uh, so that's the first thing we made i got myself a drum a wooden stick and um, all the locals thought i'm mad because they are heavily into um, mechanized chemical agriculture and they suddenly found this very urban person who came in a car with a drum and a stick and lots of cow dung mixing a slurry they told me you don't know what you're doing you know you'll need to use chemicals and i honestly wasn't sure what i'm doing i basically realized that i want to try this over the last 7 years we've done a lot of soil inoculation with this slurry and uh, that fly ash has just become absolutely chocolate colored beautiful uh, soil therefore the tagline for my organization which grew to an organization that is today uh, became growing soil changing minds that's why it's sustainable regenerative agriculture we realize the importance of cow dung in regenerating soil matter also in uh, growing good for growing clean food the fundamental requirement is good soil so that's how that evolved then we also started making stuff so what are the products that bijon makes what is your pet product tell me my pet product are the cowdung logs cowdung logs are beautiful uh, you know they are about 2 3 feet uh, long you can see the video on our facebook page it's a very simple machine which anyone can run so it has a cone like structure where you put in the cow dung and a log comes out it's that simple so um, this logs are sun dried so therefore there's hard it's there's no carbon footprint on these logs actually and we have about 1800 kilos of dung produced every day you know automatically you know we started making these logs uh, then everybody used to come and ask us how do they perform where are they used so you can use them in uh, cremations you could use them in bonfires or you could use them in um, barbecue havens so you can use it for um, the pujas you could use them in cremations because in india the most popular way of doing the last rites for a person is cremation so therefore if you go to an average crematorium in india you'll see piles and piles of wood i thought this is such a beautiful way to stop cutting trees or at least reduce cutting trees and even incinerators or electric crematorium even that has a huge carbon footprint so i said hey here's this project that a creates economy for farming communities because when they make these logs and sell they earn give people an alternative to cutting trees you save trees and uh, three the carbon footprint is minimal but the cow patties the dry patties were always used as fuel yeah uh, in traditional indian uh, households yes how is your log different so uh, very interestingly all these questions came up before us and because we didn't have a scientific understanding of this just at that time iit delhi came to us only the institute of technology uh, uh, delhi the students came to us with their project and uh, they said can we do a project on dung and i was so happy because uh, this uh, an opportunity presented itself for us to do a study i really wanted a study what did you want to study i wanted to study the dung logs efficacy versus wood 
because that was often the question that was asked to me saying how would it perform you know versus wood True. so uh, they did this study they it went on for a few months they even cremated an unclaimed body using uh, this with the help of the government the results were remarkable you know the the dug logs burn for a much longer time slowly so they consume less fuel they also burn evenly because of the hole in the center they have prepared a paper on this what about the smoke how does it compare to wood it definitely there is pollution when you burn anything uh, that includes dung logs okay uh, but culturally uh, dung smoke is not considered for some reason to be polluting and the logically i think any smoke is polluting that's the truth uh, even an incinerator produces its own uh, smoke so amongst the three ways of uh, you know maybe cremation this would be still the most uh, sustainable way to do that you said you found this innovation online of this person who had the he was making planters out of the dung no he was not making he made a machine that can make dung pots so i sourced him and i asked him if he could sell a machine to me and so i got the machine it makes three sizes of dung pots and it also has a very interesting application uh, if you go to any plant nursery most of the plants are uh, saplings are grown in small black polythene uh, at least in india and small black polythene bags or plastic pots and so there's a lot of plastic waste actually generated by nurseries who grow saplings even farmers when they grow saplings use black polythene covers here in india this is a wonderful alternative because these dung pots can hold a sapling beautifully until it is ready to be transplanted and when you transplant you can plant it with the pot because the pot itself is manure right uh, also there is a culture in india of gifting tulsis basil plants on good occasions to people on a function or a festival so we started encouraging green gifts uh, for people saying if you do want to gift somebody a pot then gift them this that's a pretty creative and innovative product when i looked online your products they seem pretty fragile how do you transport it would it need a lot of packaging or you know we mostly work very locally that's why because i feel a large scale transportation also is a carbon footprint what we actually encourage is for people to set up these uh, wherever people can and avail it locally because definitely it reduces the risk of breakage and you know it's also less cumbersome to transport far off places so yes it is fragile it can break because it's after all made with cow dung having said that we have managed to send it across the country to many places and not the logs i don't transport the logs very far you know i uh, instead what we do is we train people and help them buy the machines wherever they are right that's ideally what we want to do because there are number of goshalas or cattle shelters in our country and uh, piles and piles of dung unfortunately no one works with dung and many of these goshalas you know uh, you must know are also quietly working as dairies and uh, it's a sad truth but people are obsessed with dairy you know when they see a cow the first question they ask is oh, how much milk does the cow give in hindi kitni doodh deti hai so cow equals milk for them there's no other way they can see the cow you see this is why we want every goshala cattle shelter to start this project for themselves this will also generate their own an economy that can sustain their expenses if well done i was listening to a podcast where they were interviewing the people who started a company called seventh generation in the us and he said economics always is important in convincing people to buy your product 
so if you tell the people who have the cattle shelter who on the sly are using the cow for milk these are often cows which are abandoned because they're not giving enough milk or you know or other issues sometimes abandoned not because of enough milk sometimes they just stray cows that get rescued by these people i'm not, there is a lot of good work happening so that what i'm trying to say is that i'm not saying all cattle shelters are like this but like everywhere there is uh, definitely uh, some cattle shelters are run very badly some of them are unscrupulous also some of them are not uh, most importantly even if run well i feel they're not optimizing their resources uh, that they have do you think that it can be an economically viable alternative for the cattle shelters to be sustainable economically sustainable definitely so is that what you're proposing yes give me the economics like a liter of milk that a cow i'll tell you how it works see for a cow to give you milk she's pregnant for 9 months and then she delivers so for those 9 months you are nothing you're just waiting for her to have the baby and immediately after she's had the baby the first 10 days or 15 days the milk is too thick to sell it's colostrum right which is also denied to the baby it's sold to sweet shops it's sold to make colostrum tablets there's a business there also from the time the calf is born the person optimizes the earning right he doesn't want to give even one day off because he spent 9 months feeding that cow the cow actually gives milk for about 8 months the natural cycle for a calf to drink milk from his mother is about 7 to 8 months by the time the calf is about a month and a half or two the calf starts to graze a little with the mother that's how it happens just like human babies where we after a year we start to give them regular food a little you know bit and then they slowly they start eating everything and get off milk and then you wean them similarly by the 7th month uh, the calf is too big to continue feeding with the mother and by then he's also become uh, independent and he is really happy to eat his own fodder in a dairy format the calf is given nothing if it's a female calf they keep them on a survival diet because they need that calf to be the next generation in the dairy if it's a male calf they keep showing the calf to the mother because the milk drops in the udder instinctively in india that's what they do after 15 days then the cow starts to give good milk that only lasts about 3 to 4 months after that the milk starts to vein right right in the start and when it's going to get over the milk also becomes very thin it's a biological process and the mistake is that we've tried to make a huge business out of this right so then they give them hormones and all that to keep the milk going and everything so the calf is taken away from the mother very very early and these calves all find themselves on the road the way in a sense is a tragedy in the way we romanticize stray cattle in india most of them are abandoned male calves and it's a survival of the fittest kind of a, a scenario where the, that bull has survived somehow and grown into a thing and he's stays on the road the other stray cattle that you see on the road are all small dairies who don't want to spend money feeding their cattle so what are your next steps where do you see yourself in 2 years i haven't the faintest idea actually but i think what we've now really begun to enjoy doing is bringing awareness to people about where their food comes from where their milk comes from how animals are treated our farm has become a great place for this narrative and um, i'm able to not only talk about it i'm able to show it i'm able to show how regeneration can happen how compassion can take place how happily animals can live on the farm how we can do dung instead of milk 
So I think that there are so many narratives that are happening on our farm. It gives me great pleasure to be able to bring in school children, uh, bring in families. Uh, there are lots of visitors on our farm. And now and we hold workshops, we have farmers markets. So there's a constant communication, interaction, dialogue. And I think that's very, very crucial. It's not about uh, just taking a stand. But it's about being able to understand where the problem lies and how we can solve it in a sustainable manner that is also economically viable. Like you yourself mentioned, economy is in the fulcrum. Is it the fulcrum of change? You know, if I want to tell somebody to stop dairy, I need to give them an alternative. Otherwise, it's not going to happen, you see. So I'm very happy that we have accidentally created this. I really call it a happy accident because I didn't set out to do this. But as we started, so much has happened and I don't know where I'm going to be two years from now because of that. I hope I'm able to share more and more of this narrative and, and we do a lot of training for animal shelters, whatever we know. It's not like we are the last word, but whatever we have learned or whatever we are able to understand, we love to share and ask other people to start uh, because there's so much work that needs to be done. Thank you so much, Aparna, for coming on the show. I hope you have the same amount of energy uh, going forward. Thank you so much. You're listening to Mindful Businesses with Vidya Ayer. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe and listen to us on your favorite podcast listening app. Remember to rate and review us. To learn more about this and our other episodes, check out our website, mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. If you learned a thing or two, share it with one friend. This is Vidya Iyer with Mindful Businesses.